I greet you, dear people, in the precious name of Jesus, the one who was willing to be broken so that we might have life. Now, we just read that song about the wonderful, wonderful word of the Lord. Not only is the word wonderful, but the word is also precious. And it reminds me of 1 Samuel chapter 3, in that very first verse, we read that it's, that it's that story of little Samuel when he was growing up and living in the temple there with Eli. But it says in that first verse that in those days the word of the Lord was precious. It was precious. And then it goes on to say there was no open vision in those days. Now, the word of the Lord is precious today, right here today in modern times, in a similar way. One being right now, well, it's a little more rare for us to get together and preach and teach the word. And so in that sense, it's, it's more precious. It's a bit rare, you could say. I just trust that it's not rare in your personal lives, but that you are keeping up to date in your reading and meditating of God's word. But, you know, even more than that, the Word of God should be precious to you today more than ever because of the value that it has to help us through the trials and the difficulties of life. There's power there. There's life there to keep us keeping on. I would like for us this morning to continue the theme of brokenness that I began back some months ago. I intended to move along with this series of messages on brokenness a bit quicker, but you know, we haven't had church like this for a while. Things have changed a bit, and so it's been stretched out. But I would like to pick up that theme of brokenness and look into that more this morning. Now, first of all, let me just recap the earlier message, and that was entitled, The Basis of Brokenness. And in that message, we considered three foundational principles about brokenness. The first being, we will all encounter hard experiences in life. In fact, in James 1 verse 2, we read, Count it all joy when ye fall into temptations, or when you face trials. You know, James makes it clear that trials, hard times, are a part of life. And notice he says, when you fall, not if, but when. In essence, he writes, dear people, go ahead and prepare yourselves because hard experiences will come your way. Let me help you prepare for them. Let me tell you how to deal with them. And then secondly, we noted that hard experiences are for the purpose of perfecting us. Once again, in James 1, verse 3, we read, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Knowing this. You see, a better understanding of the purpose helps us to endure the process. And so he says, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when they come, remember this, so that you can endure. And then thirdly, we noted that our response to hard experiences determines their effectiveness. James 1 verse 4 says, But let patience have her perfect work, 
that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You notice the first two words, but let. But let. This speaks of submission. It speaks of yielding my lowly will and way to God's higher purpose and plan. Letting is all about my response to the hard experiences that God allows in my life. And James implies that we have a choice in the matter, but he urges, no, in fact, he commands us to let go of our will and to let God do his work. But let patience have her perfect work. Someone has said, we lack something in church life more than love. We lack dying. It's a sober thought. In other words, we lack brokenness. You see, the basis of spiritual brokenness is dying to self and then choosing absolute loyalty to Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. You know, that old man, I, that big I, has been crucified. It's no longer he who lives, but it is Christ living in me. Death to self. And dear people, that is not only the basis of true brokenness, but it is also the foundation for true usefulness to God. Death to self. And life, absolute loyalty to Jesus Christ. That brings me to the title of this message, and that is The Usefulness of Brokenness. The Usefulness of Brokenness. Now, we are all quite familiar with this concept, at least in certain areas of life. And let me just give you several illustrations. The first, maybe the most familiar one, when we think of something being broke, we think of horses, okay? Horses need to be broken. You know, it doesn't matter how beautiful or powerful that horse is. It doesn't matter how much money that horse cost its owner. If the horse has not been broken, in most cases it's worthless. It's useless. To be useful, that horse has to learn who's boss. Another illustration, think of children. Now, children are a very precious gift from God. A beautiful part of life. And yet we would well know that children are not born as angels. But in order for a child to be a blessing to their family and to society in general, their will has to be dealt with. And the sooner that child learns to obey and respect authority, the better off they and everyone else will be. And sadly, uh, the jails and the prisons are full of men and women who had a lot going for them. Men and women who are highly skilled and even highly disciplined in certain areas of life. But because they were never fully broken, they are reaping the heartbreaking consequences. One more illustration, and that is a farm. 
Think of a farm and consider the importance of brokenness in the setting of a farm. So first of all, the soil has to be broken to produce grain. And then the grain has to be broken to produce bread. And then the bread has to be broken to feed me and to feed you. It's a series of brokenness that makes usefulness. And so in these three illustrations, you've seen the thrust. Broken equals useful, and unbroken equals unuseful. And so here's the bottom line of this message this morning, and that is this. Spiritual usefulness without spiritual brokenness is a spiritual impossibility. I'll say it once again. Spiritual usefulness without spiritual brokenness is a spiritual impossibility. Now, thinking of broken bread, I'm reminded of the times when Jesus miraculously fed the multitudes with a few loaves and fishes. Some very intriguing and powerful stories. But what stands out to me is that the more he broke, the more people were blessed. The more he broke, the more people were blessed. You know, brokenness is an ongoing, lifelong process. No one is ever fully broken, at least on this side of eternity. No one is ever fully broken. As long as we're in these bodies, there will be certain areas and amounts of resistance that need to be dealt with and that need to be surrendered to Jesus Christ. But it's true that the more broken we are, the more God can and will use us. Brokenness and usefulness are directly proportional. Think about that. The more broken we are, the more useful we are. The less broken we are, the less useful we are. You see, the the less broken we are in our spiritual lives, the more resistance there is to God and His Word. And when there is resistance there, then the Holy Spirit cannot freely flow through us as He ought. And so brokenness is about death to self. It's about clearing out of the way the resistance that is within us. I would invite you to turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and we want to notice verses 23 through 28. Now, you might be wondering, is brokenness really so important? I mean, is it really that important? Can I not just live a Christian life and sort of swerve that part? Well, let's see what Jesus had to say. First, I want to note the context of this passage. Here Jesus is in Jerusalem, and this is just several days before the cross. Jesus had just come through the city in what we refer to as the triumphal entry. You remember that story, and as you're looking in your Bibles right now, you can glance back at that. But the crowds and the disciples were thinking along the themes of glory and pomp and victory. 
That's what, that's what was pulsating through their minds and through their veins. They were all pumped up about this. Jesus was the new king. That's not what Jesus was thinking about. You see, right on the heels of the triumphal entry, Jesus talks to His disciples and Jesus talks to the people about brokenness. About brokenness. Follow along. John chapter 12, verse 23. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. We'll stop right there. A beautiful passage. And yet, as I mentioned, it strikes us as odd, perhaps, that it comes right on the heels of something as festive as the triumphal entry. We have man's perspective and we have God's perspective. And Jesus is making it clear that there is something so much more important in life than being comfortable. And that is being conformable. Not comfortable, but conformable. Now, in this passage, three things stand out to me. I'll break it down in this way. We have an illustration, and that is the seed in verse 24. We then have a challenge, and that is for us in verses 25 and 26. And then we have an example, and that is of Jesus Christ in verses 27 and 28. Let's note these three things briefly. The illustration is the seed. You see, a seed has no real value unless it dies. Oh yes, there's life inside. But that life cannot be released until the hard outer shell of that seed is cracked and broken open. You see, there's life there. But it cannot be released. That life cannot flow until the hard outer shell of that seed is broken. The challenge is to us. Dear people, we have a choice. We have a choice in verses 25 and 26. Will we choose a life that is comfortable? Or will we choose a life 
that conforms to the image of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that is the challenge that we get later in the New Testament at some point. To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We have a choice. We can choose to be comfortable. And along with that comes loneliness, selfishness, and the desire to be protective of ourselves. Or we can choose, with the help of God, to conform to Jesus Christ. And along with that comes the promise that we'll never be alone, and that we'll experience the joy of fruitfulness, and that we'll experience life eternal. What is your choice this morning? Will you simply choose to be comfortable? To just sort of go along with the status quo? Or will you allow God to truly work in your life and to break that outer shell, the flesh, that is hindering you from usefulness to God? And then we have the really beautiful part, and that is the example of Jesus Christ. Here's the power. In verses 27 and 28, Jesus gives this illustration of the seed. He gives us the challenge, but He does not leave it without showing us the way. He says, Now is my soul troubled. And we can't even imagine the severity of that trouble. We think our troubles are great. We know nothing compared to the troubles that Jesus went through and what he was facing in this moment. But he says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? And then in a sense, he says in a question form, shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? Shall I say that? And he goes on to say, no, I cannot say that, because for this very purpose, was I come. This is why I'm here. I'm here for this hour. And then we have his submission to the will of the Father. Father, glorify thy name. No, I'm not going to swerve this. Oh, I know it's going to be painful. Oh, I don't want to go through this. Oh, my flesh trembles. I'm troubled. But this is why I came. This is why God sent me. And I will submit to the will of the Father. Father, glorify thy name. And then we have the beautiful expression of the heavenly Father calling down to his dear Son and saying, Son, I've already glorified it, and I'm going to glorify it again. Wow, that's beautiful. Look at that intimate connection, that relationship with the Father that came through willingness to endure. You know, Jesus was using an object lesson here to teach us some, something very important. And that is, a believer, in many ways, is just like a kernel of wheat. When we give our hearts to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells within us. There's life there. But unless the hard outer shell of our flesh is broken, the life cannot freely flow out and effectively impact our world and relationships. 
God must break us to make us useful to him. And so, how is brokenness useful? You might be wondering that. How is brokenness useful? In what ways does brokenness produce usefulness in my life? And I'd like to mention four things this morning. The first is, brokenness engages us intimately with God. Brokenness engages or connects us intimately with God. You know, one of the most beautiful products of brokenness is a new and deeper intimacy with our Heavenly Father. And dear people, this is something that I cannot fully describe to you. You simply have to experience it to understand it. I can tell you about it. I can tell what has happened in my life. I can tell what has happened in other people's lives simply by observing. But I cannot fully describe it to you. You must understand it through experience. You see, broken believers know God in a way that others just don't. Why? It's because God does not sell himself out cheaply, but he reveals himself to the sincere seeker. In fact, the scripture says that the secret of the Lord is to those who fear him. Isn't that neat? (laughs) God has a secret, but he doesn't reveal it to just anyone. He reveals his secret to the sincere seeker. Now, in these following verses, I want you to pay special attention to how God responds to broken people. And I want you to notice the intimate relationship that God has with broken people. Psalm 34, 17 through 19. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Beautiful. Psalm 51, 16 and 17. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Now, in some of these verses, the word contrite keeps coming up. And another word for contrite would be crushed. A spirit that is crushed. A will that has been crushed. And the scripture says, a broken and a contrite or crushed heart, O Lord, thou wilt not despise. God has a special place in his heart for such an one. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus saith the high and holy one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God says that he lives with those who are broken. That's the one he dwells with. 
Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye built unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things hath been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. (laughs) God says, my eye is on those who are poor and crushed in their spirit to those who are broken, and to those who fear my word. They tremble. They honor my word. I say brokenness engages us intimately with God. Secondly, brokenness empowers us to serve God effectively. Brokenness empowers us to serve God effectively. Every broken believer will testify that they have a new and a real power that they did not have before. Dear people, I can testify of that myself in my personal life. You know, in areas where they used to struggle and struggle and struggle, they now experience power to claim consistent victory. There's a change. Something is different. I say, how is this? What has changed? And this is what has changed. Their self-life has finally been seriously dealt with and broken. Allowing the Holy Spirit the freedom to move in and to work in their life with less resistance. The Holy Spirit has been unleashed in a new and real way to do His work and to produce fruit within that life. You see, I has been crucified, and Jesus Christ is now on the throne. They have finally bowed in full surrender and absolute loyalty to Him. And they are daily reckoning themselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto Jesus Christ. That is something that through the power of God, they are choosing to do. And because of that, they are experiencing victory in their life, joy on their face, and peace in their heart. But it comes by bowing in full surrender and absolute loyalty, choosing absolute loyalty to Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you, dear people, that until you come to that place of full surrender and brokenness before God, you will not have the power to serve God effectively. Your spiritual life will be a consistent struggle and a roller coaster ride at best. And maybe you like roller coasters, but this is one you won't like. You won't like this one. Brokenness empowers us to serve God effectively. And I would just like to quickly note uh, a couple examples, maybe one especially from the Bible and one from more recent history. We could think of Moses. Moses was a man who grew up in the land of Egypt. Wow, he had all the glories of Egypt at his fingertips. He, he went through the best schooling you could possibly have. 
He was probably handsome. Actually, the Bible says he was a goodly child. He was probably handsome. He was well-trained. He had everything he wanted to have. He had it all. And along with that, Moses was a bit self-confident. Moses was a bit full of himself. Moses took things in his own hands. And we have that story where Moses took things in his own hand and he ended up killing someone. Uh Uh-oh, what happened then? Well, the next day, he found out that Pharaoh had heard about this. And Pharaoh was not happy. Pharaoh was after his life. And Moses had to flee for his life. And for the next 40 years, Moses spent that time on the backside of the desert. God did a powerful work over those years in Moses' life. We don't read a whole lot about those years. Moses just, he went from being a part of the greatest civilization perhaps of the day to being absolutely unknown, a nobody. Slid off the face of the earth, you could say. And during that time, God did a work in Moses' life. And when Moses came back, And what we know of Moses then as we read Scripture is that Moses was a changed man. God had dealt with Moses. No longer was he so self-confident. No longer was he proud about what he had, what he had learned, who he was. No longer did he just take things into his own hands. But God had dealt a blow to Moses. And Moses now was a man that we know as a meek man. In fact, the Bible says he was the meekest man that ever lived. God had changed him in a drastic way. We think of Jacob. We could look of uh, the testimony, the illustration of, of the Apostle Paul. And there's others in the Scripture. But I'd, I'd like to look just a bit more at the Apostle Peter. Think about Peter. And in Matthew 26, verses 33 and 35... This is the Peter that we knew at that point. He says, Though all men should offend me, should offend because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And then Peter went on to say, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. You see the courage of Peter. You see the loyalty of Peter. At least that's what it sounds like. Peter was bold, Peter was outspoken. He said, Jesus, they might do that. Other people might go that way. They might run away, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to keep standing up for Jesus. And yet, we all know what happened. In the face of trial, Peter failed miserably and denied Christ three times. Can you imagine the crow of the rooster? Can you imagine the look on Jesus' face when He looked at Him? Can you imagine that? Maybe you can. But the Bible says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly. And it appears that Peter was so crushed by that experience that he abandoned the ministry altogether and went back to fishing again. 
But after the resurrection, Jesus called him back to serve him. In, in essence, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Now, Peter, do you really love me? Do you really love me? And this hurt Peter. This hurt Peter. And yet Jesus went on to say, if so, I have a job for you. I want you to go feed my sheep. I want you to go minister to my people. And as we move then into the book of Acts, we see a brand new Peter. Now, now he is still bold and he is still outspoken, but he is not operating anymore in Peter's power, but he is operating instead through the power of Jesus Christ. And look at the results. Through powerful, Holy Spirit-filled preaching, thousands of people were saved and the early church was established. Mighty things happened through Peter. But see, something happened to Peter. Peter was not the same Peter he used to be. Peter was a broken man. Think of more recent years of the man Hudson Taylor. Now when we think of Hudson Taylor, we think of a great missionary to China. But before that could happen, God broke him through a severe illness. Hudson Taylor went to China as just a very young man. He had a desire to serve God. And after he was in China for six years, he became so severely ill that he returned to England. Basically an invalid. And at age 29, the doctors told him, Mr. Taylor, you will never return to China again. Your work is done. And for five long, lonely years, Hudson Taylor lay sick, wondering and waiting and suffering and praying. But it was through those years of, of sickness that God developed Hudson Taylor into the man that we know who returned to China and shook it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the Hudson Taylor we know. But see, that's not how it began. God had to break him in order to fully use him. I say brokenness empowers us to serve God effectively. Thirdly then, brokenness enriches our relationships with others. Brokenness enriches our relationships with others. You know, brokenness has a beautiful effect on our relationships with those around us. You know, broken friends are the best kind of friends to have. You would probably agree with me. Who wants friends who are proud and arrogant and who talk nothing except about themselves? We don't like friends like that. Broken friends are the best friends. I wonder what kind of friend are you? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Starting at verse 8. 
We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Now note this, verse 12. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. (laughs) Now what is the Apostle Paul saying here? He says in verse 10 that we're always bearing about Or let me read another translation. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And then verse 12 he says, So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Dear people, the Apostle Paul is talking about sacrificial living. The Apostle Paul is talking about the beauty of brokenness. And how that brokenness enriches our relationships with others. You see, sacrificial living brings life to others. When I get out of the way, it blesses you. You see what I'm saying? When I get out of the way, then Jesus Christ can flow through me and you are blessed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Now, in his book on brokenness, Lon Solomon identifies five characteristics in broken believers that influence their relationships with others. And I will just mention them, but I ask you to ponder if these characteristics describe you. Do these characteristics describe you? The first is approachable. Are you approachable? Can people come to you? Do people feel free to come to you and share with you? Are they able to ask questions? Do they feel safe to discuss things with you? Are you approachable? Secondly, teachable. Do you know everything? Or are you willing to still learn? Are you teachable? Thirdly, sensitive. Do you have a sensitive heart? Do you have a sensitive eye to the needs around you? Do you notice when there are needs? Do you see? Do you care? Are you sensitive? We're thinking about relationships with others and how brokenness enriches our relationships with others. A fourth characteristic of a broken person is (laughs) Turfless. <laughs> That's how Lon Solomon describes it. Turfless. In other words, <laughs> the, 
they are willing to give up ground, okay? <laughs> In other words, uh, you can have it. I am not holding on to this with all my might. Yes, this is how I feel, but I'm willing to see things from another perspective. Perhaps you have something that I can learn from. I'm not going to hold my ground without budging when it's something that could easily be seen and understood from a different perspective. And then fifthly, he says that a broken person will be forgiving. Forgiving. They don't hold grudges. They think the best of others. I think of Joseph. The forgiveness of Joseph. When he had every right, you could say, to hold a grudge and to have bitterness against his brothers. And yet he said, you know, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. And he was able to forgive and move on. He did not hold that against him, them. That's forgiveness. You know, there's something about brokenness that is so attractive. <laughs> as difficult as the experience is for us, yet we are drawn to people who are broken. And I say, why is this? Why are we drawn to something broken? It's because that through brokenness, the very nature and beauty of Jesus is seen in us. Brokenness creates an atmosphere where people feel safe to open up and to share. People feel relaxed. People feel unthreatened. Simply put, brokenness reflects Jesus. Fourthly then, brokenness enables us to minister to others. Brokenness enables us to minister to others. You see, experiencing and living through painful situations gives us the resources to help others. Think about this. Have you ever considered that God may be allowing a painful experience in your life as a means of preparing you to minister to others who are hurting? I ask you again, have you ever considered that God may be allowing a painful experience in your life as a means of preparing you to minister to others who are hurting? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, turn back a couple pages, and I want you to note what the Apostle Paul says about this. Verses 3 and 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we read, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. <laughs> you notice that beautiful picture. So in our times of trial, in our times of suffering, God is comforting us. He's the God of all comfort. But then the Apostle Paul says that, that God even allows these things into our lives so that we can then comfort others who go through similar situations. We've been there. We've done that. We know what it feels like. And so there is a flow from God the Father being our loving Heavenly Father who comforts us. And then with a heart of love, we then comfort others. It's passed on from God through us to others. The comfort 
that comes from God does not stay with us, but it goes to others. Many of you would know the name Claire Schnupp. He was the founder of Northern Youth Programs and a counselor for many years. And this is a quote that he made a number of times in his counseling sessions. Nothing bad can ever happen to us that God can't use to help others if our response is godly. I'll say it again. Nothing bad can ever happen to us that God can't use to help others if our response is godly. You see, we can bring glory to God by telling others about the marvelous ways that God has rescued us from pain and from trials and from seemingly hopeless situations. We can tell others. We can encourage others. We can give life, as it were, to others. In fact, Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2, read this way, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And I like how the New Living Translation reads verse 2. It says this way, Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others that He has redeemed you. That's powerful. You see, your story and your testimony could very well be the key to victory for some dear soul that's struggling. But you have to tell it. You have to share it. And so I say, do that for the good of others and for the glory of God. Share your story. Share your testimony. Tell others what God has done for you. Be a channel of life to those who are suffering, to those who are struggling. Brokenness enables us to minister to others. In a world that despises broken things, let me just say that there is nothing more powerful and more beautiful than a broken brotherhood. There's nothing more powerful and more beautiful than a broken brotherhood. But it happens, dear people, one person at a time. It begins with you. It begins with me. In conclusion, this morning I'd like to read a story. It goes this way. Once upon a time, in the heart of an ancient kingdom, there was a beautiful garden. And there, in the cool of the day, the master of the garden would walk. Of all the plants of the garden, the most beautiful and most beloved was gracious and noble bamboo. Year after year, bamboo grew yet more noble and gracious, conscious of his master's love and watchful delight, but modest and gentle. And often when the wind came to revel in the garden, bamboo would dance and play, tossing and swaying and leaping and bowing in joyous abandon, leading the great dance of the garden, which most delighted the master's heart. Now one day, the master himself drew near to contemplate his bamboo with eyes of curious expectancy. And bamboo, in a passion of adoration, bowed his great head to the ground in loving greeting. The master spoke, 
Bamboo. Bamboo. I would use you. Bamboo flung his head to the sky in utter delight. The day of days had come, the day for which he had been made, the day to which he had been growing hour by hour, the day in which he would find his completion and his destiny. His voice came low. Master, I'm ready. Use me as you wish. Bamboo, the master's voice was grave. I would have to take you and cut you down. A trembling of great horror shook Bamboo. Cut? Me? Down? Me, whom you, Master, has made the most beautiful in all your garden? Cut me down? No, not that. Not that. Use me for the joy. Use me for the glory. Oh, Master, but do not cut me down. Beloved Bamboo, the Master's voice grew, grew graver still. If I do not cut you down, I cannot use you. The garden grew still. The wind held his breath. Bamboo slowly bent his proud and glorious head. There was a whisper. Master, if you cannot use me other than to cut me down, then do your will and cut. Bamboo. Beloved bamboo, I would cut your leaves and branches from you also. Oh, Master, spare me. Cut me down and, and lay my beauty in the dust. But would you also have to take from me my leaves and branches too? But bamboo, if I, if I do not cut them away, I cannot use you. The sun hid his face. A listening butterfly glided fearfully away. And Bamboo shivered in terrible expectancy, whispering low, Then Master, cut away? Bamboo, Bamboo, I would yet split you in two and cut out your heart. For if I cut not, cut not so, I cannot use you. Then Bamboo bowed to the ground. Oh, Master, Master, then cut and split. So the master of the garden took bamboo and cut him down and hacked off his branches and stripped off his leaves and split him in two and cut out his heart. And lifting him gently, the master carried bamboo to where there was a spring of fresh sparkling water in the midst of his dry fields. Then putting one end of the broken bamboo in the spring, and the other into the water channel in the field, the master gently laid down his beloved bamboo. And the spring sang welcome, and the clear sparkling waters raced joyously down the channel of bamboo's torn body into the waiting fields. Then the rice was planted, and the days went by, and the shoots grew, and the harvest came. In that day, bamboo once so glorious in his stately beauty, was yet more glorious in his brokenness and humility. For in his beauty he was life abundant, but in his brokenness he became a channel of abundant life to his master's world. I ask you, dear people, this morning, are you willing 
to allow God's power to be made perfect through your weaknesses. You know, the Apostle Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Can we say that we delight in our weaknesses, knowing that in our weaknesses, God has a way to use us that He cannot use us in our own strength? And are we willing to see the troubling, humiliating, brokenness of the thorns in our lives, as this little story says, to become a channel of abundant life to the world of the Master? Dear people, it takes a change of perspective. What are you living for? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for your glory? Or is your greatest purpose in life to be useful? To be useful to God and His kingdom. Dear people, that comes by being conformed to the image of His Son. It comes through brokenness. But it is through that that God can use us as life abundant to those around us and to His kingdom. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you so much, Father, for the lessons from your word this morning. Father, they're not the easiest lessons to learn. We understand that and we confess that too often we have, we have tried to move on in life. We have tried to gain victory. We have tried to be useful to you. And yet, shirked what is so important and so foundational. We've tried to do it in our own power because we're scared. We're fearful of what you might ask of us. Oh, Father, help us to have a new perspective this morning. Help us to understand that true joy, true life, true peace, and yes, true usefulness comes through brokenness, through conforming our way to your way. Father, I pray that, that you would work among us this morning. You know the needs in our hearts. As we have gathered in this unique way this morning, you know the needs of each individual, where they are right now, what they're dealing with right now. And Father, I pray that there would be an openness and a sensitivity to your word and to your Holy Spirit working. May you be glorified. And may our testimony be a blessing and be life-giving to our relationships. Bless this gathering, and as we part from here, Father, I pray that, that we would remain faithful to you, and that through this time of being apart, may we still be unified in spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I would like to ask those who are with me here in person this morning to come up front and join me as we sing a closing song together. You can find that song in your hymns of the church. If you have that with you right now, you could pull out your songbook. Hymns of the church, number 506. 
How I praise thee, precious Savior, channels only. How I praise thee, precious Savior, that I love more of me. Thou hast saved and cleansed and filled me, that I might thy channel be. Channels only, blessed Master, but with all thy wondrous power. Flowing through us, thou canst use us every day and every hour. Empty that thou shouldest fill me, a clean vessel in thy hand, with no power but as thou givest graciously. Thank you for attending our service this morning, and this concludes our service. The Lord bless you.